I do want to take a moment and pray for all those in our church specifically that are afflicted right now. They need healing. They need God's touch. They need good medical care. They need wisdom and guidance. Father God, we lift up each one. Lord, you know each one. You, every hair of our heads are numbered. But Lord, we really need, we need to see that biblical power, that book of Acts power that we read about throughout the New Testament, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the opening of blinded eyes and deafened ears, the healing of leprosy, and so many other afflictions, Lord. You are the great physician. You're the Lord of all. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. And we ask you to pour out your spirit upon these afflicted and heal them and restore them. And Lord, we pray for uh, our nation. Lord, the, the blindness, the deception that's been foisted upon us, Lord. And so many people have just given into it. They, they're, they're blind. They don't know what's going on. They don't realize the attack that's taking place, the spiritual aspect, the spiritual warfare. We ask you to open those blinded eyes and those deafened ears. Wake people up, Father. We pray especially for protection of our children, our young people who are being forced to wear masks and take these vaccines and their health is being damaged. Just like the women who are told that abortion is good for them, it's good for their health, it's a lie from the pit of hell. People are being told the same thing about these masks and these vaccines. Lord, they're being lied to, they're being deceived, and we ask you to break the power of deception over our nation as well as the rest of the world. And we ask that you'd use all this as an opportunity to win many more people to Christ. We pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, an outpouring of evangelism, salvation, and we pray for this cantata coming up, that you'd use it to reach many people with the gospel of Christ, that it would be a huge, tremendous success. You'd provide for all the resources needed for this ministry, the Gracias Choir. And Lord, we ask you to bless now the study of your word for the time we have left. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd be happy to talk with you more about these things if you want to see me afterwards. I know you guys are smart, you're intelligent, you're on top of things, but I'd, my wife and I would be glad to help any way we can, Pastor Ed. Revelation chapter 20, new chapter. Only three verses, though, we're going to cover today. Revelation 21 through 3 with a little addendum for verse 4. Let me read these verses. Revelation 20, you can follow along with me in your Bible or on the screen. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and put a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. He's deceiving them right now, isn't he? Till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. We've already prayed. So let's jump right in. Verse 1, chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Then this word, this one word connects uh, us with chapter 19. This word indicates that the events of chapter 20 follow immediately after the ones of chapter 19 where we saw the second coming of Christ 
and us returning with him, him defeating the armies of this world, the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, casting them into the lake of fire and so forth. And then right after that, right after Christ returns with the armies of heaven, which includes us, and conquers the evil armies of this world, then John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven for reasons we'll discuss in just a moment, I believe. This is the archangel Michael. And he has the key to the bottomless pit. It's a transliteration. If you look in the NIV, it translates bottomless pit, abyss, A-B-Y-S-S. It's a transliteration of the Greek word abusos, which literally means without bottom. Without bottom, interesting. Could be indicative of a, of an, a continuous, nonstop, unending feeling of falling. You can imagine how terrorizing that could be. The abuso, the abyss, the bottomless pit. In the Bible, the abyss is the temporary place of confinement for evil spirits that God considers too dangerous to be loosed. We know that there are wandering around this world Satan and his minions, demonic entities, haranguing, harassing people. But there are some that God considers too dangerous to be loosed. Luke 8.31. Remember the, we are legion for we are many. And they, legion, begged him, Jesus, repeatedly not to order them to go into where? The abyss. In the NIV, they repeatedly asked Jesus not to order them to go into the abyss. It's a horrible place. It's a place for demonic entities that God wants to confine until the final judgment. Jude 1.6, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, the angels of Genesis 6, the angels that came down and cohabitated, the fallen angels who came down and cohabitated with human women, and produced a non-human hybrid offspring, which, by the way, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And now we have the globalist elites, the, the transhumanism movement, the artificial intelligence movement, all moving towards a post-human society where people are hybrids. And by the way, I hate to say this, because again, I don't want to mess with anybody who's been vaccinated. That's between you and God. That's your choice. But the vaccination is an mRNA vaccine with genetic modifying capabilities in it. It is the first phase and the first step towards hybridization, dehumanization, modification of the human genome. And in Revelation 13, we read about those who were irredeemable. Interesting that that phrase came into popularity through the infamous Hillary Clinton back prior to the 2016 election where she called people like you and I irredeemable. See, the devil always points the finger at you when in fact it's him and his people who are irredeemable, if you have non-human genetics 
implanted into your body, then you potentially become irredeemable. Jesus died for human beings, not hybrids, not clones, not androids. I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but I've got to tell it like it is, folks. I believe if you've been vaccinated, God will protect you. I'm sure if you did it, you did it with the right heart, the right intentions. I wouldn't encourage you to keep getting boosters, though. That's another thing. If these vaccines are so great, how come now two's not enough? You've got to get three. You've got to get four. You've got to get five. Why? Because the truth of the matter is the vaccines actually destroy your immune system. So now you have to get more and more of them because you have no immunity of your own. Look it up, folks. Don't take my word for it. Be a Berean. Do your own research. And by the way, a lot of you raised your hand when I said, who's had the COVID? Another scientific medical fact, you have 14 to 24 times the immunity with natural immunity from the COVID that you do from the vaccine, okay? So if you've already had it and you're sitting here today, praise God. You survived and you have natural immunity. Now, I don't know. Maybe you can still get it again. Chances are if you do, it won't be nearly as bad. And honestly, as nasty as this stuff is, there are worse ways to die. Okay? All right. See if we can get through this. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, the fallen angels, left their own abode in heaven. They were kicked out with the devil, but then they took it a step further and they came down to the earth and they cohabitated with human women, produced the Nephilim. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so these fallen angels who did all this horrible stuff, God put them in chains for it. We saw in Revelation 9-11 that the demon Abaddon which means perish. The Greek is Apollyon, which means destroyer. We saw in Revelation 9-11 that Abaddon or Apollyon rules the abyss. Revelation 9-11, they, these demonic locusts with scorpions' tails that we read about, had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. We saw in chapter 11 that the beast, the Antichrist, will come up out of the abyss. That's where the nastiest of the nasty demons dwell. And the beast, the Antichrist, will come up out of the abyss. Revelation eleven seven, When they, the two witnesses, remember Moses and Elijah, ministering for three and a half years in the streets of Jerusalem, when they finish their testimony, the beast, the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Of course, then they're resurrected and they go back to heaven. So here we have Michael coming down from heaven. We'll talk more about why he's Michael in a moment. Having the key to the bottomless pit, a great chain in his hand. Again, this is after the return of Christ in chapter 19. The chain is for the purpose of binding Satan. And this is an important point as well. Contrary to what some 
I believe false teachers teach. The devil is not at this time bound, nor can he be bound until Jesus returns. When you hear people pray a prayer, I bind you, Satan, you really think that has any impact on him? If it would have worked, it would have worked a long time ago. We wouldn't have seen all the horror, the death, the destruction, the mayhem that we've seen on this planet over the last 2,000 years if some Joe Blow Christian could simply tell the devil, I bind you. He laughs in your face. You can't bind the devil. Only Jesus can. And when your life is hidden in Christ, he will protect you. God doesn't want the devil bound yet. That might bother you. It doesn't bother me because I'm down with whatever God's plan is. But God doesn't want him bound yet. There's still a lot of stuff that has to go down on this planet. And a lot of it's going to be coming from the devil himself. And it's going to be put upon a world that has rejected Christ. God has given man 6,000 years to get his act together. Have we really gotten anywhere? Not really. It's gotten worse and worse. Therefore, is God justified by allowing judgment to come upon this world? Is he? Can't hear you guys over there. Is God justified in judging this world? Okay, so don't get uptight about it. Okay? It's not time for the devil to be bound yet. God allows the enemy. He allowed Satan to sift Peter like wheat. He allowed the devil to do everything to Job except kill him. Do you still love God anyway? Job did. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. God's in charge. He's the whole deal. He's perfect in all of his ways. Whatever he does, whatever he allows, it's okay. Because he's God. And if you are a believer, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If God did not allow the enemy a certain degree of access into our lives to test us, We'd be, we'd be even bigger babies than we already are. Right? We'd be a bunch of spoiled brats. And there are Christians out there that have that mentality. I'm hot stuff because I'm a child of God. No, you're not. You're a vile, wretched worm. You don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve what Jesus did on the cross for you. The only thing that gives you value is God's love for you. You are a vile, wretched sinner, and so am I. Don't ever think more highly of yourself than you ought to, Peter said. Maybe that was Paul, actually. All right. So the chain is to bind Satan. He's not bound yet. He's not going to be bound until Jesus returns. So get used to it. He can, here's the good news, he can be resisted. And he can be caused to flee. Do you like that? The devil can be made to flee. James 4, 7. And here is the sequence of events. Therefore, submit to God. How many of you have submitted to God? How many of you need to submit to him more? Submit to God. Step two. Resist the devil. What did Jesus tell the devil? Get thee behind me, Satan, right? For it is written. Again, 
I bind you, Satan. Really? You remember the seven sons of Sceva? They were these Jewish exorcists. They heard the apostles casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And see, they did it for a living. These guys cast out demons for a living. Now, they were probably fake, phony charlatans. But they thought, wow, we can use this name of Jesus and up our business. So they tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. The demon says, well, we know Jesus. We know Paul. We don't know you. And they beat the crap out of them. These demons did. You think you can come before the devil and mock him and curse him and bind him? You humble yourself before God. It's kind of like the kid standing behind his daddy. You know, come here, boy, I'm going to beat you to a pulp. Oh, yeah, I want to meet my dad? I want dad in between me and the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, again, we don't want to give him too much airtime, but we also don't want to be stupid. He is our adversary. There is spiritual warfare that we're going to face as long as we live on this planet. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, and there are people who make fun of that and say, oh yeah, but he's toothless. Jesus pulled all his teeth on the cross. That's a crock too. Listen to Peter. Don't listen to these faith teachers. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, really? Well, if he doesn't have any teeth, you better watch out. He might gum you to death. Resist him. So you have a part to play. I have a part to play. I like to say God empowers right choices. The devil will present you with a temptation you have to make the right choice and God will give you the strength and the power via His Holy Spirit to resist, to make the right choice. Resist Him steadfast in the faith, knowing, there again, steadfast in the faith. How steadfast are you? Are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? Are you in fellowship? These are the things, if you want to remain steadfast in the faith, you cannot be lighthearted or flippant about your Christianity. And there are many people like that. They identify as believers. Just like some men identify as women and some women identify as men. Doesn't make you one. You are what you were born to be. And if you're a born-again believer, then you will behave like one. Remain steadfast in the faith. If you want to be able to resist the devil, you better be serious about your relationship with God. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced, there it is, even though we resist him, even though we are steadfast in the faith, Peter says you're still going to have suffering in this life. Don't think you're not. Some people get blown away the first time a trial comes along, they want to bail on God. Really? Did Jesus bail on you? He went all the way to the cross, didn't he? In this life, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But God never promised us a rose garden here on earth. That's awaiting us in paradise in God's eternal kingdom. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
For the believer whose life is submitted, yielded to God, anything Satan tries to throw at us is used by God for good. Romans 8, 28, I already quoted it. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Lest I should be exalted, Paul says, above measure by the abundance of the revelations. God had given Paul so many divine revelations, wisdom, insight, visions. And Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure, get prideful, get arrogant because of all the spiritual revelations that God has given me. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I'm sure we've all experienced this. Things in our lives, whether it's an illness, whether it's some other type of thorn in the flesh like Paul was talking about, and we've sought the Lord over and over again, and it doesn't seem to change. It doesn't get better. Paul says, He, God, said to me, My grace, what is God's grace, is unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. But he pours out his favor upon you, his love, his mercy, his grace, his blessings. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, in those weaknesses, in those afflictions, in those thorns in the flesh, that's where we really experience the strength and the power of God. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, than the power that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, if everything was always perfect in our lives, if everything went smoothly, if we never had any difficulties, then we would have no understanding or appreciation of the strength and the power of God at work in our lives. The devil cannot be bound until Jesus gives the word. When Michael the archangel comes down from heaven with the key to the abuso, the abyss, the bottomless pit. But he can be resisted. He can be made to flee. Again, James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When he sees your father standing in between you and the devil, he's out of there. Genesis fifty twenty. Joseph told his brothers who had thrown him in a pit, sold him into slavery, left him for dead. Joseph tells his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. And it's true, they did. They hated their brother. But God meant it for good. Listen to Joseph, man, what he went through. Being thrown into a pit. The brothers wanted to kill him. Reuben, I believe it was, talked him out of it. They sold him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites took him to Egypt and sold him into slavery he worked in the home of this big wig named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He fled. She cried rape. He was put in prison. And through all of that, he's saying God intended it for good. Joseph became the second most powerful man in Egypt, right under the Pharaoh. And he ultimately saved his whole family from starvation. Who would have thought? In the midst of all that, and yet Joseph never lost his faith, never 
turned away from God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. For the non-believer who's in rebellion against God, Satan has free reign to wreak havoc of any and every kind. But if you are in Christ, if you're submitted to God, then whatever the enemy tries on you, God will use it for good. You have to remember that. Amen. Verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, Michael did, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So there's no doubt about his identity, that's for sure. And bound him for a thousand years. Only here and in chapter 12, verse 9, is the serpent of Genesis 3 identified as the devil and Satan, revealing the many evil facets of his nature. Finally, here in the last book of the Bible, he was identified in Genesis as the serpent, and here clearly identified as the devil and Satan. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So that's the only two places we see this. Now, as the dragon, dragons breathe fire, right? So he takes those who follow him into the fires of hell. As the serpent who deceived Eve, so he deceives the whole world. In the name devil, Diabolos, it means accuser, he is the accuser of the brethren. We see this in the book of Job. We see it in Revelation 12.10. He goes before God making accusation against us. But as believers, Jesus Christ is our defense attorney. He speaks on our behalf before the Father. Father, this one is mine. They've been forgiven. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're saved. Don't listen to the devil's accusations. Satan means adversary, one who lies in wait to trap and ensnare. And here's why I believe this angel is Michael. Jude 1.9, Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, Moses died by himself there on the mountain. The devil apparently wanted to come and defile his body in some way. Archangel Michael has a dispute with Satan about the body of Moses. Listen to this now. This confirms everything I've been saying. He dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even Michael the archangel didn't say, Satan, I bind you. Satan, shut up. No, he said, the Lord, Jesus Christ, rebuke you. So you can do that if you want. If you feel like you're under satanic or demonic attack, feel free to say, the Lord rebuke you. But just keep the Lord between you and the devil. That's what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. I like to keep the Lord between me and the devil. Revelation 12, 7, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Michael, that's why I think this angel here in chapter 20 is Michael. 
He is the captain of the angelic army. He has battled with Satan in the past and will defeat him in the future. Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the Jews. And there shall be a time of trouble. This is the tribulation. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, the ultimate deliverance of the Jewish people at the return of Christ. Everyone who is found written in the book. So let's just settle on the fact, I believe, that this angel is Michael. And he binds the devil for a thousand years. This has been referred to, chapter 20, as the thousand years chapter. It's mentioned six times in this chapter. The Latin equivalent for these words is millennium, a thousand years. Mile means thousand. Annum means years. Mile annum, millennium. Hence, this period of time is called the millennium. It's the time when Christ will reign on this earth. Daniel 7.14 Then to him, this is Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So all earthly kingdoms will be destroyed, but the kingdom of Christ will be forever. Zechariah 14.9 The Lord shall be king over all the earth, in that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and His name one. Again, this is the millennium. The Lord, the Lord isn't king all over, the, over all the earth right now. Now, He ultimately is the, the ultimate authority in the universe, but not every knee has bowed, not every tongue has confessed. That is coming. Isaiah 2.4, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. That definitely has not happened yet. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Let's stand. That's where we'll stop today. Pick it up next week in verse 3. Father God, we are so thankful that we know the outcome of all these things. Lord, you've not left us in the dark. As David wrote several thousand years ago, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father God, thank you for enlightening us, for illuminating us. Lord, we have nothing to fear because we know how it all turns out. We know who wins, and as believers, we're on the winning side. So we thank you and we praise you for the dynamic, life-changing power of your word for giving us wisdom and insight and understanding into all these things. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.